It's the mom who dragged you to church. A lot of us, it's the mom who says, hey, remember God. And moms are really great for faith. And we are doing a series. It's called Your Faith. And we are looking at times where Jesus looked at people and said, hey, your faith makes a difference. And so moms here in the room, thank you for your faith. It makes a big difference. The times where you decide to pray with your kids or share a scripture or those times you decide to just treat them with the love of Christ, your faith makes a difference. And we're going to talk about a mom's faith today and how Jesus said, hey, your faith makes a difference. Now we're going to look, we're going to start off with the New King James Version of, of Matthew 15, verse 28. It's in your notes. We're going to start off with that. But then we're going to go to Mark chapter 7, and we're going to spend most of our time in Matthew 15 today. But we're going to talk about how faith makes a difference. And I go with the New King James Version because your faith is what Jesus says. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 28, in your notes, you can see it right there. I put it in there. We're going to go to Mark 7 in our Bibles. But in your notes, in Matthew 15, verse 28, then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. You see, this is the faith of a mother. You see, oftentimes when you look at the scriptures, your faith can save you. We talked about a sinful woman coming in there and she's crying, she's weeping. Your faith can save you. Did you know your faith can heal you? But guess what the faith of a mother does? Help someone else. Line one, if you look at your notes, your faith helps others. That's the faith of a mother. So that's kind of what we think about when we think of mothers, very other-centered. I'll tell you, my wife is way more other-centered than I am. When it comes to the kids, she just has that mother feel, how they're feeling, what they're doing. She's thinking about the kids in ways that I don't. I'm just kind of going, you know, are they happy? Are they sad? Are they, you know, do they ask me? Eh, if they need something, they'll ask me. No, moms worry in a different way, right? Because a mother's heart cares for others. Your faith is supposed to help others. The faith of a mother is just that. It's other-centered faith. You know, if you go to a church that says, hey, all you got to do, accept Jesus in your heart. God's just there to love you. This, you just need to have a personal walk with God. Did you know the faith that God wants you to have is way beyond that? It's not just about you. The faith that God wants you to have is other-centered faith. You want to be a happy person? Learn to be other-centered. You want to be a fulfilled person? Don't make it about you. Line two, real faith is in service of others. Real faith is in service of others. You go, do I have real faith? Do I have saving faith? Well, what's it used for? You know, it's interesting, my, my daughter, she just finished her first year at LMU, Loyola Marymount University. It's a Jesuit university, and she loved it. She thinks high school was horrible. If you're in high school right now, guess what? It'll be over. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're like, oh, it'll be over. Yes, summer's coming soon, but guess what? It will be over. My daughter, we didn't know it that much. I mean, you know, you just kind of go through it, right, when you're in high school. You just kind of go through it. 
She's loving college. She loved her first year. She said high school was horrible compared to college. She loves it. But LMU is a Jesuit university, and guess what? What they have on the walls everywhere, it says faith in service of others. Because that's what real faith is. Real faith is in service of others. What, is your, what does great faith look like? It looks like a mother's faith. Let's go to Mark chapter 7 and see how this story starts. Mark chapter 7, verse 24. It says, Jesus left that place and went to the village vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. You know, it's interesting because this starts off where Jesus wants his privacy. He wants to get away. He takes his 12 disciples. He says, hey, let's get a break. Let's go where no one will find us. It says the vicinity, right? The vicinity of Tyre and Sidon, that that place is where the Gentiles were. Now, if you don't know much about the Bible, I'm going to say this, and it's not going to sink in. I, I would go to church and hear these things, and it didn't make sense to me. So I'll try to say it so that it sinks in, but it's hard for us to connect with it in the modern day. Back in New Testament times, back in ancient times, racism was just part of life. Culturalism, religious separation, it was legal, it was encouraged, it was just part of life. They would take you as a slave based on your race. America is not the author of that practice. So here, there were Gentiles and there were Jews from a Jewish perspective. Now, if you are a Gentile, what is a Gentile? Anyone who's not a Jew. Okay, let's just put it that way. So... Since I'm Asian, I'll use that. So, you know, I can't use another race. It's funny. When you're that race, you can totally diss your own race, but don't diss someone else's, right? It's just like, just like with your family. I can diss my family. You cannot. So if I were an Asian and I say this world is made up of Asians and not. Okay, and, and you go, well, that just sounds so wrong. That's literally okay back then. That was life. And Jesus first came for the Jews. And most all of us, if you were not of a Jewish background, we would all be Gentiles. We would all be in the not category. And Jesus first came to the Jews. So when you're reading and he's healing people, he's working with people, most of those people were what? Jews. The Old Testament is written for whom? Jews. And so Jesus says, I need a break. So I'm going to go to this place called Tyre. I'm going to get away from the Jews. He went to a Gentile place because he needed to get away. That's how this starts. Let's go to Matthew 15. Have you ever wanted to get away? Have you ever wanted a break? I told you this about this group right here. If you're visiting, if you're trying to get to know people here, I want you to understand this church right here, you guys are my birthday present. Remember that? I turned 50 last year. 50. Last year. And not since. Years. I know it's bad, but that's okay. I'm old enough to tell bad jokes. 
when you get to a certain age, you just, they just expect things to be bad. Anyways, so I turned 50 last year, and I wanted to get away. I wanted to get away. This was my 50th birthday. I had this whole thing planned. Yes. Don't, you know, don't you think about it? And guess what I did? Guess what I got? I got this ministry. Isn't that awesome? Because transition happened in the same month of my birthday, so I couldn't get away. And so even this month, I'm going, hey, can I get away? We're going to try this late, uh, Memorial Day weekend. So we may be here. We may not be here. If we're here, we didn't get away. <laughs> Just so you know. No guilt. But you know what? So this is what Je- he wanted to get away. He said, I don't want anyone to know where I'm at. This is how much Jesus wanted to get away. It says that right in the scriptures. Private, no one knows. Matthew 15, verse 21. Matthew 15, verse 21, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. See, it doesn't say that detail, so that's why we go to Matthew 15 now. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. What's going on here? You see, Jesus had his plans. He wanted time away. It says this woman is a Canaanite woman. What does that mean? That means she was not a Jew. Now, it wasn't that she was Roman. It was that she was Canaanite. Well, what does that mean? See, Jesus was a Jew. And what is a Jew? A descendant of Abraham. That's going to be important. So Jews were the descendants of Abraham. Now, the Canaanites were the Jews' old enemies 800 years before this time. What else? They had worshipped Baal and Baal's female consort, Asherah. And the Old Testament is full of stories of conflicts between the Jews and those who worshipped Baal. There's conflict between those who worshipped Yahweh, which is God, and Baal. And so Matthew just underlines, this is a Canaanite woman. She is completely outside of God's care. As a matter of fact, she is a hated enemy of God's people. And so she's just not any old Gentile. She belongs to the the most worthless and hated group outside of God's people. Jesus was looking to get away. And this woman is yelling. And they go, well, Jesus didn't say anything. Why? Now, I think maybe he was thinking, you know, if I just don't say anything, she'll go away. Right? Because he's probably inside. They're trying to rest. They have, they're, they're, you know, they're staying. There. And so this woman's pounding at the door. Jesus, have mercy on me. I know you're in there. Dun, 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 dun. You know, has anyone, like a salesperson come by, they ring the doorbell, and you go, hmm, I'm going to act like I'm not here. <laughs> have you ever done that? Let me tell you a story about my mom on Mother's Day. My mom was an English major. Someone knocked on her door, a salesperson, she pretended she didn't speak English. <laughs> Sometimes I do that. No, I'm just joking. Um, but knocking on the door, Jesus is like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. boom, 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 boom. 
Jesus! Let's go on. Verse 23. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. She keeps crying out for us. See, she kept crying out. Send her away. She's pounding at that door. Let me in. It goes on. He said, I, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. You see, that's that whole thing I'm telling you. Hey, you know what? My priority is the Israelites. The woman came in and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. See, sometimes when you read, you got to notice the exclamation marks. That's her yelling. That's her pleading. This is a woman from a hated culture. I don't know how she got in. Maybe the disciples just opened the door anyways. Maybe she snuck in through the back. But she made her way to Jesus, and she's pleading with him. And what does Jesus say? He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. What? Did Jesus just say that? That's intense. We're not going to turn there. Look at your notes. Mark chapter 7, verse 27. It's just there in your notes because I didn't want us jumping around in the Bible today. It, Mark chapter 7, if you didn't catch on, is the parallel uh, telling of the account in Matthew 15. In Mark chapter 7, verse 27. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. So even in a different account, he just called her a dog. You go, How did that happen? That's not very nice, Jesus. I want you to understand, here's one thing that you need to understand about God. Let it sink in because I was reading commentaries about this and they try to go, well, you know, <laughs> one commentary is really bad. Uh, oh, Jesus was trying to call her a cuddly puppy. <laughs> That's literally what the, the commentator said. You know, Jesus looks at, you know, the, there's his children, and then he said they were the children, and what he meant by dog is cuddly puppy. Now, you know, the Jews didn't like dogs like we do, just so you know. So when he said dog, he meant D-O-G. Like, not good dog. You go, man, that's pretty intense. Let's turn to Galatians 6. But while we're going to Galatians 6, line 4, I just want you to understand, what's the point here? Jesus is serious about prioritizing his children. I want you to understand that. He did say dog. He just did. Now, he didn't say, I wasn't going to help you. He doesn't say that. But he says, hey, listen, first off, we're trying to get rest. First off, my people are trying to get some rest. You're coming in. And I need you to understand. I need you to feel this. This is an important thing. The kids come first. Jesus prioritizes his people. He does. See, I know that goes against what we think. We go, God loves all people. Yes, he loves all people. He does. But he has priorities. He does. 
Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Let's take a look at that scripture. We'll go back to Matthew, 7, Matthew 15 in a second, but let's take a look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. We're going to look at two passages in Galatians right now, but let's go to verse 10. It says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You know, when you are with God, he's serious about prioritizing you. Did you know that? Doesn't mean he doesn't love everyone else. Because you're my kid, and you're special. You're my kid, and you get my best. Do you see that's how God is? We like to say, oh, no, God loves everyone. God doesn't judge. Okay, God loves everyone, but he loves his children fiercely. You'll see in Malachi, he'll say, Jacob, I loved. Esau, I hated. You know, I love my people. This is what God says. And that might shake us to the core. Well, no, God doesn't play favorites. He does. And if you are his people, you've got to feel very, very secure. So important to feel secure in understanding that God loves you and he is on your side. You know, that's what, what makes marriage so important. Did you know that? Why? Because I choose you, Pikachu. That's what marriage is all about. It's you're sitting there, and of everyone else on this planet, you are mine. And I am yours. As a parent, that baby, come on, first-time moms. I know what it was like because I watched, I was that way. You know, I would peek in just every night, make sure my daughter was breathing. Just watch. Is she breathing? Can I hear her? Is she breathing? Every little thing when you have that first child. What's that mean? What's going on? What's going on? Huh? When they're crying, how are you to figure this out? Well, you know, I remember with my daughter, I said, I will be trying to figure out what you want for the rest of my life. Because this child is mine. You know, that's how God loves you. When you're someone's child... Kids, you might think, oh, my mom's always down on me. My, my dad's always nagging on me, whatever. They're always no, you know what? For the most part with a parent, you just want to think your kid hung the moon. They get up and sing, and they sound horrible, but you're going, wow. <laughs> yeah, that sound, it, it's, it's the most, that's like, you know, angel singing. I was going to use a like a pop singer, and then whatever I'd pick would make you go, who is that? Because it would be someone that's so old you didn't remember. But, yeah, when, you know, when, they, when your child makes something for you and gives it to you, ah, right, Michelangelo. As much as God wants all people to follow him, he has a special place in his heart for those who choose him. You are my child and I love you, and I prioritize you, and I'm going to make sure you are fed first. That's what it says. Hey, the children need to eat first. Do you know that that's how God is with you? You know, we've got to also have that. This command right here is for us. This one right here is not just what God's heart is, but God's commands always lead us to have his heart, just so you know. God's commands aren't a test for you. 
God's commands aren't this obstacle course to make sure you make it into heaven. God is not making you the American ninja warrior. Okay, do you guys get that? God is not saying if you're the next American idol. These are not survival techniques. God says, my commands for you help you to be like me. And that's why that command is there. Guess what? We need to love God's people. There's one thing about marriage, one thing about parenting, one thing about fellowship. Familiarity can breed what? Contempt. The person you love the most can what you the most? Hurt you. And so over time, walls in our hearts, walls in our brain get built up, and we get distant, and we drift, and God says, no, that is not me. The Israelites at this time were under punishment from God for turning their backs on him, and God sent them into captivity. And he still says through Jesus, you're my child, you're still top priority. You are mine. I love you. Everyone else is a dog compared to you. And God says, we need to have that same heart. If you're God's people, you are my priority. That doesn't mean we don't love other people. But sometimes we got to go, what's my passion? Line five, we must invest in the family of God. Now, next Sunday, we are going to have a very special service. Remember, men, we're going to meet together first. We're going to have our teaching time. But afterwards, we're going to be sitting together. I'm going to squish you all in. We're going to sing to one another. We're going to talk to each other. We're going to learn how to be. We're going to relearn for some of us, and we're going to learn for some of us how to fellowship. Okay, we're going to learn how what church is supposed to be. Church is supposed to be us interacting, getting to know each other. Remember, the The rule still stands. Do not leave this room until you meet someone new. Look around, and if you can't, you should do that. You should walk into church, and when we're singing our songs, we're going to look at, we're going to talk about how we sing to one another. Next Sunday, you're going to sing to each other, and look, if you can't name every person that you in the room, then you've got to walk up to that person before you leave and say, you know what, bro, sis, I forgot your name. What is it? We're going to learn how to invest, and we're going to have a great time of worship and also fellowship because fellowship is a form of worship. That's May 21st. Be there. It'll be awesome. So how much do you value and invest in the family of God? That's the question. When we come to church, this is our time to feed each other, not my time to feed you, just so you know. Now, but the Israelites did take something for granted. They just thought, because I am Abraham's descendant genetically, that must make me by default God's children. But we're going to look at God's children are not just people who are genetically descendant from Abraham. Turn to Galatians 3, verse 7. So did Jesus say D-O-G-Y-E-S? He did. Because we got to understand, God loves his people, and they are a priority. But who is, who are God's people? Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. Understand then that those who have faith 
are children of Abraham. See, we're going to talk about, remember he said, great is your faith. That's what he said to that woman. Great is your faith. Well, what kind of faith was that? Let's go to Matthew chapter 15. Line six. God's family is a family of faith. What makes me a child of Abraham? Your faith. But your faith can't be just any old faith. You can't have false faith of, of modern mass Christianity, of just believing your heart, accepting Jesus into your life. Just say, well, I love God. I know that I feel it. That's not the faith that God looks for. Let's even take a look at this woman. Her great faith wasn't shown by her just accepting Jesus and being nicey-nice. This woman made it uncomfortable. This woman pushed her way in to Jesus to get Jesus' attention. In Matthew chapter 15, let's go to verse 27. Matthew 15, verse 27. In verse 26, let's just review. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the D-O-G's. She says, yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Great is your faith. Line 7, I just want you to understand, she went from spiritual dog to daughter by her motherly faith. Because God's church is a family of faith. And she went from dog to daughter. Isn't that cool? By this great faith. She became a child by faith and got a meal at the table instead of the scraps. You know, what, what does this great faith look like? Let's look at this woman. You know, what, what, what was her sense? How did she go from kind of a dog to a daughter? Isn't that a cool thing? God adopted her. Jesus adopted her said, okay, you are now part of the family. I'm going to give you what the kids get to eat. That's like letting your dog get up at the table, putting a bib around it, and then cutting the filet mignon and feeding it to the dog. Some of you do that. Not healthy. But that's that whole Paris Hilton level. Line eight, what's the first thing? What's her faith? It's a mother's perspective. See, like I said earlier, oftentimes in families, the mom is what grounds the, the family in being faithful. Why? I don't know why. Maybe it's just what it means to be a mom. If you're a godly wife, the Bible says a wife must respect her husband. So those wives must start very early on. Help me, Jesus! I know that for my wife. <laughs> we got married. I'm telling you. When, see, just my spiritual history, when I was a young Christian, um, I didn't stay a young Christian very long. You go, why? What happened? Oh, I fell away. I got baptized when I was 18. By the time I was 21, I was gone. I came back when I was 23 after my world tour. Right? 
Yeah, world tour. You know what's interesting? I didn't actually part. I, I just wasn't a big partier dude like that in high school. So when I fell away, I did a lot of community service, all sorts of things. It was just kind of, um, you know, remember, self-professed nerd. You're not going to hear all these stories from me just because I just stay at home by nature. I come back, and then I moved to L.A. in 1990. Hated this church, sorry. Love you guys. Ran away in 91 to Hawaii. That's where I met my wife. Okay. Now, Robin, on the other hand, she got baptized in the church on Oahu. Immediately, they put her on staff. She was the first woman appointed women's ministry leader that was from Hawaii. You know, she helped everyone. Yeah. She's the Moana spiritually, right? So here she was leading, and, you know, she was in charge of so much, and she'd been spending years managing the women's ministry, and then she has to marry me, her new boss. <laughs> and it was hard. It's like, oh, wow, this is really hard to get used to, right? So women, maybe, maybe she just knew what it meant to call upon God in a deeper way. That's why mothers, sometimes women, tend to know a bit more on this earth. See, you know, we talk about minority rights and different things. My wife always tells me, hey, women are a a class all unto themselves. This is what my wife tells me. So who knows why women tend to go, let's call upon God. But she had the perspective. Faith was the answer. She had the perspective. God will solve this. She had the perspective. The power is in God. It wasn't even her God. It wasn't even her race. It wasn't even her faith. And she knew this faith, this life I'm living is not powerful, and I need to go to the true God. I need to pound down the door. I need to scream. I go, because this is where the power is. And she knew, line nine, God's scraps can change anything. She was just willing to take a crumb. Is that how you see God? Did you know God could just blink and transform everything for you? God has that kind of power. Something may not have changed for years in your life. And God could say, it'll be different. See, she knew that. She had that perspective. How ingrained are you in the problems of today? See, if you're not crying out to God and trying to pound that that door and make your way to Jesus, you don't have that perspective. And she just knew. That's why God says, that's why Jesus says, boom, you got it. You understand. Because she said, hey, just a crumb from you will transform everything. We think it takes so much of God's power to change things in our lives. It doesn't. Just a crumb. Just a blink. God just lifts his pinky finger. Everything could be different. Do you understand the power of Jesus? Line 10, a mother's perseverance. A mother's perseverance. You know, in Luke chapter 18, we won't go there. I put it in parentheses. If we ran out of time, we wouldn't read it. 
But you see, we think that, wow, Jesus was so rude by calling her a dog. No, I want you to understand, he wants to make it clear. I have my priorities, and my people matter. That's what he said. But guess what? In Luke chapter 18, he talks about a persistent widow and how she would pray. And how that God could sometimes seem like the unjust judge. But this woman keeps begging and pleading and God just says, you know, hey, I got to give her what she wants. And so you'll see how this moment parallels that moment. You know, God sees faith as perseverance. The religious world will tell you, oh, faith is just the perspective. It's more than that. It's your perseverance. You know, she had to figure out where Jesus was. Jesus intentionally tried to make himself hard to find. That's literally what's going on here. We said, I'm looking for a private place where no one will find me. But guess what? The people who find Jesus are the ones who work at it. The Bible says, you'll seek God and you'll find him if you seek him with what? All your heart. That's Jeremiah 29. It takes every effort to find God for real. And there's sometimes God is intentionally making himself hard to find. Isn't that crazy? And she persevered. She yelled and screamed. He tried to hide out from her. He tried to say nothing while she's pounding at that door. And she goes, no, I got to reach Jesus. Line 11, fierce faith changes God's plans. You can change God's plans. Did you know that? Jesus didn't want to help. Jesus wanted time away. The unjust judge in Luke chapter 18 says, hey, I don't want to grant justice to this person. I am too busy with other things. But if you have fierce faith and you say, I'm going to keep at it with God, I'm going to keep at it, keep at it, keep at it, you go from dog to daughter. You you don't even just get the scraps. You get the full meal. And lastly, line 12, a mother's passion. This is a faith that takes you from dog to daughter or son. There's a lot to learn from moms. What I know about my wife, what I know about my mom, is that a mom can love passionately. You know, just desperately. The risks that she was willing to take and the effort she put into seeing her daughter get healed are enormous. You should look at, you know, just look at the situation, the circumstances. Different religion, going to the people who hate you, hunting down Jesus, pounding at the door when he's trying to not even address you. And then being called a dog and then saying, I'll just take your scraps. That's desperation. That's love. That's passion. That's heart. You know, I think the reason why Jesus was moved by her was he looked at her and he said, you know what, you have my heart. Because that's how God is. Because remember, we start off, God prioritizes his children. And he says, guess what? You love your child like I love. Because Jesus is the one on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Because he cares about the kids getting healed. And as we take the Lord's Supper, let's really understand, hey, this is the kind of faith that God welcomes and he wants in his relationship with us. It's the faith of a mother. 
Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we pray, as we take the Lord's Supper, help us to have the same passion as you do. Help us understand that you look for those who love like you will, who care like you will, who will just have that other-centered heart like you do. As we take the bread, help us to understand the brokenness it takes to be desperate. Help us understand the passion and the efforts that it takes to be just like you. As you call us to take Lord's Supper, you're calling us to be one with you. As we take the fruit of the vine, help us to really understand that when they call your crucifixion, with Jesus' crucifixion, when they call it the passion, it's for a reason. That there was blood shed for, you, for us by you for our freedom. Help us to have that same fat passion as we drink the fruit of the vine this morning. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen.